Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the MedTech Impact Podcast, where you get to hear from leaders and innovators who are shaping the future of medical technology. I'm Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Mikuljong. And we're your hosts of the show. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Stephen Kalinske, CTO and co-founder of Augment Health. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Awesome. Delighted to have you. So you guys were part of Impact Cohort 3. And I might say you guys because you are a co-founder with Jared Myers. Um, and so it was obviously great to know you guys through the program. And super excited to learn more about where you are today and obviously to share some of your journey with the audience. Yeah, exactly. So, Stephen, what's the problem that the industry is facing and, and how are you solving that problem with your technology? Let's start there. Yeah, definitely. So I guess at a high level, uh, what we're doing is is providing a remote uh, monitoring tool for clinicians uh, who are treating patients with neurogenic bladder. And so really walking that back to, to where the problem starts is there are patients who have neurogenic bladder, uh, a condition that impacts both feeling and function of the bladder. And then in a subset of those patients, they'll also be experiencing what's uh, known as overactive bladder that manifests as spasms of the bladder and can have uh, negative health impacts. Um, things like that could be baseline embarrassing, um, like leakage of urine or things with more downstream effects like kidney damage. Uh, and right now, the industry doesn't have a very reliable way to track that overactivity as it occurs. It can take a long time uh, just to get a patient on the schedule to get them into the clinic. There are only a few clinics that have the tools to try to monitor that activity. And so patients end up driving up to three hours just to get to those uh, monitoring sessions. And, and really beyond that, once they're in there, it's more or less a coin flip if it's going to recreate the symptoms and help clinicians figure out what's going on. And so we're providing a tool that can be used remote, gets shipped right to the home, clips onto the end of a patient's existing catheter, monitors for a day just throughout their life, and relays information to the clinician so they can dose treatments and really just working to improve both what the patient and the clinic are experiencing. And, and tell us a little bit more too about, I guess, overactive bladder and how that, you know, how many people, I mean, I'm, it's probably a, a pretty common, um, you know, health challenge. And, and I would imagine many people are impacted by this. And, you know, so is this kind of intended to, to help that early detection in a way? Yeah, I think, um, so I guess overactive bladder is is really a huge subset. I think one paper I saw from 2012 put it at $83 billion spent in the U.S. on it each year. And we're looking at uh, really within, uh, it's a the subset of overactive bladder we're looking at is sort of a, a different uh, patient population where there's also the neurogenic bladder condition. And so we're not looking at that full, like 83 billion, it's probably closer to 34 billion in the population we're looking at, but that's still just massive economic expenditure and not necessarily looking at it as a diagnostic tool, but as sort of a continuous or ongoing screening uh, option to figure out uh, within patients that you know are prone to this, how frequently those symptoms are occurring and if the, the treatment needs to be updated. Okay, so it's to help improve really the treatment option. 
Yeah, really access to care and, and care coordination. Mm. So it's clearly a really big problem, but I mean, what led you to this particular problem? Yeah, I think that's a, it ends up being a, a relatively long story. So uh, Jared, my co-founder and I were, we'd both studied biomedical engineering at, at Georgia Tech and we were apart working relatively major roles at, at a couple different startups. And, and while we were doing that, um, realized that we didn't want to be in sort of the, the massive 40,000 person corporations. We liked the, the startup world, but we studied biomedical engineering. We wanted to help people and, and really drive innovation. That was not just another like B2B SaaS product and, and something where if we're driving innovation, we wanted to be in the driver's seat. And so we started, we came together and, and started looking at problems that we could solve and I think Jared had a conversation with the urologist on an airplane that set us down this path. We were originally looking at urothelial cancer, completely different than what we're doing today, except for the fact that it was urology and really just talked to a bunch of doctors and backed into this space over time. I think we turned to, it was like, that's not it. The urothelial cancer market had very niche problems. We ended up getting pushed toward infections realized we weren't material scientists and, and moved a, a little bit more toward, hey, what's something where with the technology we know how to work with, we can have a real impact. And, and once we got to the point of there's just this, if there was this one variable of sensation that was filled in or had the gap filled in, we could completely change that care paradigm. That was something where we said, hey, we actually, we know how to work with sensors and, and miniaturize technology. And then the, the software opportunity with the data was also huge. And so I think we found that that niche problem that we had the capability to solve and then there was a market need for. Mm. And, and Richard, you know, I'm always curious too, I, to go along with your question is, is, you know, Stephen, even before, you know, your time at Georgia Tech, you know, what kind of influence in your life um, might have driven you to become a biomedical engineer and to pursue a career in, in medical technology? Uh, who, who and what maybe inspired you? Yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting question. If I go and I think about my immediate family, I probably would not be um, prone to go into any math and science. They're very like liberal arts, all, uh, or maybe even just traditional, like, but not not math and science. And uh, I do have one uncle who happened to be a rocket scientist. And that was, uh, I remember being like super young and like every like eight or nine year old is like, whoa, imagine going to space. And then like actually knowing someone who works in that, I think I was uh, super excited about that. Sure. And then really, uh, so he, he supported my, my addiction to math and science in there. Hmm. But um, I, I think it was, it was always just really cool. And that really at a high level, most of it boils down to like higher level math or physics and, and realizing that this is a representation of nature. And if you understand it, you can not necessarily bend nature to your will, but you can make, bring things into existence and, and change the world. And I think that was really uh just seeing that over time it really like pushed me into the different engineering respects. Mm, that's neat. Yeah. Very cool. And again, Kat, to kind of expand on that and something you know, Stephen touched on was that you and Jared obviously been thinking about starting a company and you had this problem you, you were exploring 
was there any trigger or something that actually then made you think, you know, let's actually make that commitment, let's make that next step to find a company? Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it was, we had kind of been wrapping up the projects that, that we were working on at the different companies, but it was really just, I think for a, a long time before we came to work on Augment, we had been working together on a bunch of stuff. We'd done like a dozen different hackathons. We built a, a neurosurgery tool with the Mayo Clinic. I think we knew we worked really well together and we also just enjoyed tackling like new projects. And I think it had just been long enough. And, and we said, Hey, we got to do something like it, I, it, I don't know. We might've been like 20, 21. So I don't want to say we mm -hmm. thought our life was getting away from us, but we were just like, let's like find the next thing to, to go and, and work through. And, and I know when you mentioned age, I was just going to say, Kyle, cause I remember yeah. like speaking to Kyle at uh, Stephen and Jared for the first time and they were like actually you said to me are, are we too young to do the program and I'm like guys you're exactly what we're looking for you know you're the, the innovators of tomorrow and today it's like yeah I'm just super excited and glad that we got the chance to work together yeah definitely and and that is really neat too because I mean you know to come right out of you know college and 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 to you know jump right into the med tech world as these you know young entrepreneurs I mean especially when I think about your time, like not just coming in, you know, maybe being a little, little more green than others in this field. Right. But you came in during obviously where the pandemic hit. Right. And then your, your technology is a sensor technology. So it's like, I mean, we saw and heard about all the chip shortages and, and sensor challenges within the supply chain and stuff. So it's like you, you were up against uh, quite a few challenges, I would imagine, you know, to talk to us about that. And, and did that at all have any kind of impact too on, you know, the ramp and the development of your, your company and your product? Yeah, I think it was, it, it was definitely interesting. Um, I, especially with the chip shortage, one of the biggest things that helped us was no magic with the supply chain. It was just working with people that really knew what they were doing. And so I think we've all the way through kind of supplemented, recognized that we were very young and then supplemented with hey, here's an electrical engineer that's been in the industry for however long and knows what part of the supply chain is going to be tough to work with. And then as we're like deciding between chips, there's, oh yeah, if you want that one, it's going to take you two years, but this one does the same thing and you can get it tomorrow. And so I think a lot of the challenges are, it, I remember seeing the challenges happen and then being like, oh man, this is going to be a rough time. But it's, I feel like everything is just kind of, once you acknowledge it, you just got to work through it. And I think that's been, uh, it, that mentality has been, been pretty helpful, especially seeing some of the like COVID supply chain and other financial uh, turns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Richard, you know, it's funny because we're always talking to early stage companies for the most part. Um, and what we hear is, you know, the importance of being nimble, uh, dynamic and being able to surround yourself with, you know, experts that can really guide you, you know, uh, to, you know, like they did with Steven. Um, Absolutely. And to Steven's point, like uh, it's the mindset as well that goes with that. So like, you're going to have to persevere because you're going to face a lot of challenges. Yeah. And so you need to keep on sticking together and going forward with that plan. And of course, pivoting, I'm sure you've had to pivot along the way as well. Can you tell us a little bit about any pivots you've made? Yeah, I think there's a, probably a few like big pivots I could name. I, I think when I started the, the story about how we got here, I, I mentioned we started in neurothelial cancer. We were definitely not there anymore. There was, there was originally, we thought, hey, we could solve this with all software. And uh, 
quickly learned when talking to people, like there people tried to do it with software. That's the easy way out. And then we looked and, and said, well, let's solve it with hardware. That that's how the industry has been going for the last hundred years and they haven't solved it. And so that biggest pivot early on was really just this decision of let's make sort of this hard or software enabled sensor or hardware enabled service, uh, whichever way you like slice it and, and pushing down there for a long time. And, and I want to say over a year with that um, real like product. And then as we spoke with, and that was really addressing from the patient point of view, uh, more recently, as we've been talking through how the, um, the, the clinic experiences things and, and working through with doctors exactly how that needs to go, I think we've switched away from just this generic concept of, hey, it, it monitors and adds information that you didn't know about to, hey, we are monitoring for this symptom that is occurring and, and really niching down into a subset of, of neurogenic bladder patients. And, and I think that I would probably represent as maybe not our biggest pivot in terms of the technology, but our biggest pivot in terms of making this commercially viable. Kyle, again, like I feel like Stephen's touching on something which our listeners always like to hear about is like, what does that patient experience look like now? You know, what is that current standard of care that you're trying to improve upon? Yeah, I think that's, I guess like there's a lot of, uh, I'll start sort of from the, the guiding principles that, that we look at with Augment and it, and it sort of starts with a question of, if I ask someone to name a company with great user experience, hmm. the companies that come to mind are rarely, if ever, uh, a medical company. You know, you might be thinking like Apple or like some clothing brand that you like, but the, the flip side is patients, especially patients who are dealing with chronic conditions, live with medical devices for the rest of their life. And so I think that was something we're going into. We recognize that and wanted to put the patient first. And some of the things we've seen just with patient experience, there are a lot of patients still that are carrying around a, a urine collection bag and it can be embarrassing. It can really just weigh on someone psychologically, constantly feeling other than the number of times someone goes to a bathroom throughout the day, throughout their life. If you are thinking every single time you do that, about problems that are literally weighing on you, just like literally just the weight of urine on your leg, but then both the, the mental weight. Um, that was something that we saw as, as a huge burden when talking to people. And I, I guess probably the most representative thing was there were multiple people who said, given the chance to, uh, so a lot of the patients we work with are spinal cord injured patients. There were multiple ones that said that given the opportunity to walk again or to get rid of that bag of urine, they would choose to, to get rid of that bag of urine. And, and that was just like hugely impactful. And I think that was really one of the initial goals of the technology uh, was if someone has an indwelling catheter with a, a urine collection bag, just to, to make something that supplements that sensation. So they don't necessarily have to have a bag attached to the end of that catheter and they can know when, they're, when their bladder's full and, and get rid of it. And so I think when looking at the, the user experience, that's in my mind, one of the biggest impacts, but even things like, okay, now you don't have to drive three hours to get to your appointment because the sensor is, is in your home or you don't have to, um, I think the other big one is you're experiencing symptoms that you tell your doctor about, 
you don't have to wait six months before you can get treated for those symptoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really neat. I mean, the combination of at-home healthcare like that is is obviously where you know a lot of the industry is going right now. Um, now, you know, I'm curious. You kind of touched on your technology and your product, but it, explain it in a little bit more detail. What does it look like? How do, exactly does it does it work and integrate with a catheter system? Yeah, so really uh, on the right side there, there are kind of two components of our system that, that you can see. And it's the at on the, the left of those two is, is sort of a catheter plus our device plus a catheter valve. That catheter at the top is something that is already in the patient. Um, and a lot of times they're going to have a bag connected to the end of that because they don't know when their bladder's full uh, and are unable to really safely intermittently empty their bladder. Um, and so for patients that are lacking that sensation, they're not able to use the valve that is depicted at the, the end of the system. Um, and so that's one of the, the first differences that we were talking about earlier, but it's really that that black component in the middle of the valve and the catheter is, is the, the core of the technology we're providing. It senses from the end of the catheter what's going on inside the bladder and on the I think you can see on the, the Apple Watch there in this example, but really any any smart device can receive the information so that patients and caretakers know just at a baseline what's going on, but then what is being relayed remote in, um, I'll see, I'll, I'll actually, I'll pull up, uh, I wanna say I have another uh, another visual that can show sort of what the uh, the clinician is seeing. Um, but I mean, that, that integration, yeah. um, you know, Richard, how, how neat is that, you know, to be able oh, to, to communicate with the watch? I mean, just it, it's almost it, it fits within, you know, people's like, you know, what they're already using right today, the technology they're already using. Um, so really neat to see. But yeah, what other images? Uh, please sh show the people. This is really showing uh, on the left there is sort of the portal that the clinician uh, also has access to, which is you saw the patient gets a high level of, hey, this is what's going on. But then the clinician really during those those high uh, volume or high like resolution monitoring events, uh, maybe one day out of a couple months during uh, each year to check on how patient uh, symptom management is going. Anything that's identified as, hey, this might be a bladder spasm gets pulled up on this dashboard and then they can click into it and, and really work with what does the pressure curve look like during that time and, and how are things changing? And so can I the, think- Can the patient actually ditch the bag right away with your device, your technology? Yeah, so for a patient who has, I guess it's like there, there are always catches in, in the medical world. There, there are some times where someone might've had a recent surgery or might still be in spinal shock where it's good to keep the bladder empty. Mm -hmm. But for patients who have basically would otherwise be fine, except for the fact that they can't control when their bladder empties and don't know, can't feel anything that's going on in their bladder. For those patients, it supplements that missing sensation. So they still have the catheter to, to manage the lack of control, but getting supplementing that sensation immediately um, allows them to, to safely fill and empty their bladder instead of just constantly having the bladder empty. And it seems like the um, software platform uh, will essentially help 
doctors be able to monitor and better treat patients and, and more of them? Yeah, I think that's that's something we're definitely excited about, really having this. It's not just a device, it's a whole system or a platform of, of different technologies. And again, seeing that visual, it's clearly been a lot of effort and thought put into the sort of the user experience and just trying to make that as engaging as possible. But can you expand a little bit more now on where you are in the, the product development path and kind of latest results? Yeah, I think uh, so. Uh, within the hardware, one of the one of the exciting uh, results we saw was with a recent animal study, and and really just seeing that at least for this initial indication, the the pressures that we're trying to measure, the events we're trying to identify, were it insanely accurate. Um, the numbers aren't aren't quite public right now, so I won't give on specific ones, but it was it, it was well beyond even what we were hopeful to see, and, and that was just fantastic and so i think moving moving more toward uh, additional follow-up validation uh, efforts there um and, but i think that was something where really symbolic of hey this hardware is is right about where we want it and we've been working on the i think almost as long as we were working on that hardware has been the efforts on the initial uh, user and patient and caretaker facing softwares and those are uh, now validated, look toward the, the human factors analysis and and saw very high marks. And so I think that the last piece that's sort of in development is on the, the server backend side going toward the, the clinician facing portal. But um, aside from that, just looking toward uh, safety testing. And, and when can you expect to maybe have your first inhuman trial? So I think we're aiming for quarter four of this year would be um, in an ideal setting where that falls on the timeline. Great. Um, and I guess, well, that's, 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 is that kind of ahead of maybe what you originally intended or is that kind of in line with your expectations? I think it was uh, definitely so I guess from where we originally intended, we did not uh, we did not realize how long it was going to take to to build a medical device, mm-hmm. and so I think it's behind where we when we like founded the company and said like, hey, we're going to go out, we're going to do this, this, and this. I think we just realized there are a lot more steps. Um, I'd say it's about on par with where we where we were thinking like a couple months ago when we revised planning, and then have been doing sort of the uh, the check ins, but. I, th- I think now at least we have a very reasonable uh, approach to to how long goes into each step compared to before. I remember even before we founded the company, we were like, oh, it's going to cost this much and, and we're going to get there. And someone told us uh, about what they called the pie rule, multiply mm-hmm. the, the funding you think it's going to take and the time you think it's going to take by pie. And that's probably more accurate. And uh, since then, we started incorporating incorporating safety factors in, in the estimates we give. Nice. And, and so what's next in terms of like your future milestones? Like, what are you hoping to do for the rest of this year? Yeah, so I think it definitely between that that human study and, and the animal study we just spoke about, we do have, uh, that was an, an ex vivo uh, porcine bladder study. And so now we're looking more toward an, an in vivo large animal study and almost bisects those two. Uh, really just getting in the, the the nitty gritty of like validating very specific use cases and, and making sure to minimize the risk for the animals involved at that step is, is 
why we had the, the previous study and then minimizing risk for the humans involved at, at the future step. Between there, we're also doing, right now we're still using very uh, small scale manufacturing techniques. Um, and so doing a, a transfer into really more formal contract manufacturing and continuing down the, uh, the testing pathway mm -hmm. is, uh, I, I'd say milestones that I have at, uh, top of mind. We also have a couple, uh, say more commercial things just working through on the um, nailing down what that distribution pathway looks like. And you mentioned um, that you received some funding recently. So congratulations there. Uh, I guess, is that funding enough to kind of take you um, through these, through this year? And is there additional funding that would be on the horizon? Yeah, so I guess that uh, that round ended up closing toward the end of last year and was angel round to sustain us through a couple early efforts and really just wanted to convert some of these big milestones like the, the recent animal study we had, recent product revisions, and just validation. Now coming off the back of that, we're actually looking toward very soon launching a, a formal pre-seed round. Um, and really that is what we expect to extend our runway up an additional uh, year from when that closes. Yeah, congrats, uh, congratulations again on closing the round because as everyone knows, it's obviously tough in terms of fundraising just now. Um, I wondered now like, if you could talk a little bit about some of the supporters because clearly there's been a lot of people around you to help you get to where you are now. Is there anyone that stands out along that journey? Yeah, definitely uh, Definitely, some that, that immediately come to mind. Obviously uh, the M2D2 impact program was, uh, was helpful for us. I think we, we've actually gone through a, a number of programs. I remember zero to 510 out of Memphis was specifically for class two medical devices. And as people who hadn't started a class two medical device company, that was just, it, it illuminated so many um, of the dark corners in, in sort of healthcare and how that works. And we found that to be really helpful. We're actually also housed out at uh, Vanderbilt's One Tree uh, like incubator just north of, of Vanderbilt's campus right now. And um, I'd say those are, are some of the big ones. We also, in that most recent round of funding, had a Regional One Health, uh, an integrated delivery network based out of Memphis, uh, sign on the cap table. And they are um, beyond the I guess their contribution for us and, and why we were really excited to have them as, as a partner is just the, the access to their like clinician network is, uh, is really huge. And I think that just goes into the continued like design and, and iteration process being something that where we want to constantly be talking to users and, and stakeholders all along the process and, and make sure that our assumptions are, are not just assumptions. Yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Jared at the Impact Program. I think it's important to give your co-founder some love um, because you can totally Definitely. tell that you two are a dynamic duo um, that complement each other so well. Um, and you're incredible, incredibly talented uh, young professionals in the industry, the way you carry yourselves. And I was just so impressed by by Jared um, and how he presented and how he explained and, and pitched the technology. Um, so you've got, you know, you've got a great leader uh, on your side. You know, how's that experience been like working with Jared? I think Jared's incredible. I think uh, one of the, maybe one of my like 
one of the stories that might be representative of, of it, it, it of his like I just say he gets better at, at his work the more tired he gets, which is just mm-hmm. an incredible feature to have in startups. We were on a, we were presenting a hackathon um, project we did and hackathons being something where it's like 24, 36 hours, you stay up all the way through. And then like, it, you're not supposed to stay up all the way through, but you know, you end up doing that. Then you go to like present it. And I just remember we're like, completely lucid like dying and then like some a judge walks up and he just like launches into presenting this i'm like i've never seen you more professional than that um but i think it's he's going out and, and pitching the company and, and speaking with people and it, incredible to have someone like that in in your corner mm-hmm. uh, but i mean beyond that it's also it's jared and i have, have worked together so much and, and it's just having someone that that you trust to like it's like I, I trust the work he does, the his attention to detail and and everything else. And I think it's also good to have a, a friend within the company. Yeah, well, I'm sure he'd say plenty of uh uh equally nice things about you. Um, so that's great. And and what about I guess, you know, what kind of advice would you have for someone like you, you know, uh young right out of college? starting a medical device company, developing a technology, what do you got for people? Yeah, I might uh, I might separate it into two things, sort of the, the professional and then the personal. At, at a professional level, I think that one of the just core mistakes people can make is going and building a technology first or talking to a couple of people and thinking they understand what the whole problem landscape is. And so I think that's Early on, spending a lot of time talking to customers, defining the problem, figuring out how things need to be solved, and and taking that approach all the way through, just every step of the way, going back and and revisiting that feedback, I think is probably the most important thing because it's the only way you can guarantee you're building something people want. Then I'd say uh, on a more personal level and and maybe existential to starting a company, but the highs are very high and the lows are very low. There are going to be times where you might just be up for three days, but there are also going to be times when you have a major win. And I think it's because of that, you got to celebrate the wins as you get them. And, and as you're going through the lows, just remember that if you make it through it, the highs are right around the corner. Oh man, that's great great. advice. Yeah. And again, I think reflecting on your story with Jared, like it's clear you guys bring the hustle. And I think that's a big part of it as well, that you're just making things happen. Uh, And so if you look ahead, like, you know, what's that vision of where you would like to take the company? Yeah, I think um, really initially what we see in in urology is obviously it's a it compared to some of the other spaces in, in the med tech industry, it doesn't necessarily get the same love as the, the more popular buzzwords. And, and so I think what we're seeing here is we're unlocking a lot of data that has never existed before in the space. And so really excited to take that and, and apply it to a bunch of different things and, and really bring urology into the digital world, not to insult urology, but a lot of the practices are a little uh, dated. I think catheters were invented in ancient Egypt and, and haven't changed very much. But, but really beyond that, just continuing the, the approach that, that puts the patient first, where user experience in, in the medical world can mean uh, doctors only a lot of times. 
But I think as, as we look toward transforming experiences for uh, patients with uh, chronic conditions, that's something that we want to continue forward, whether it's in urology or some other uh, subset of, of the chronic condition management. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, Stephen, uh, how can people get a hold of you or, or Jared? Um, what's the best way to get in touch with you and connect with you? Yeah, I mean, uh, so Stephen or Jared at, at augment.health, um, those are both of our emails. I think founders at augment.health might also exist, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust that one. Uh, there's also our, our website, augment.health, um, the contact form just submits right to both of us. You're, so, you're, you're yeah. a brave man giving out that email address <laughs> like that publicly. Um, but you know what, you've got something special over there and, uh, you guys have done just such an amazing job throughout these these few years of developing and bringing your technology to market. I'm sure there's a lot of great people out there that would love to learn more and love to help you guys continue on your path of success. So, um, but just congratulations on everything. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and thanks for having me on today. Yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing your story. And of course we wish you well. Um, and yeah, to our listeners, it's been an absolute pleasure. So Kyle. That's right. Well, you heard it guys. That is the MedTech Impact Podcast. Again, that's Stephen Kalinsky, co-founder of Augment Health. And until next time, um, I'm Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Mikkeljohn. Keep innovating. Hmm.